Hello, everybody, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Mark Geist Show. This is Mark Geist, your host, and I want to thank you for taking the time to coming back and revisiting us. So I think there are two topics I really need to discuss on this episode, and one is Donald Trump and the whole Republican National Convention and really what's going on there and what his strategy is going into the main election into the general election and then also the WikiLeaks Democratic National Committee email leak and really what the main points were coming out of that what kind of conclusions we can draw there and how is it going to affect the Democrats politically so first I want to talk about Trump and really his his speech was probably the biggest story coming out of out of the RNC And I know a lot of people talked about his wife's speech and that being a big story. Uh, That was pretty interesting in and of itself. And it almost looked like sabotage. It, It really did. It looked like somebody from within the Trump campaign. I don't know if it was the woman that that eventually came out and admitted it was her or if she was just doing it to take one for the team. But it looked like sabotage because it's pretty obvious. It wasn't taking from some obscure speech and trying to repackage it into into Trump's wife's speech it was taking words essentially directly from a very similar speech done eight years ago by Michelle Obama so that that was very odd in and of itself and and I don't know if I believe the excuse from the Trump campaign I ultimately don't think it really matters does it really matter I mean this this happens all the time where speeches are plagiarized the speechwriters it's it it's it's kind of a gang of of people and they and they work for both sides of the political spectrum and that's kind of why this this happens all the time Uh, they borrow from each other and and sometimes outright plagiarize from each other so i don't think it's going to hurt trump politically nobody's even talking about it anymore it it was kind of funny to watch and it was a a good story i guess for these news networks on a 24-hour news cycle to to want to analyze this to death it was a a gift to them from what otherwise may have been a boring first couple days of of the Republican National Convention. So I guess it was a gift there. But really the big story now and everybody's forgotten about the other the other stories coming out of the convention. Ted Cruz uh, was another story that's kind of been put under the rug. I'm going to talk about that a little bit a little bit later. But it was it was Trump's acceptance speech. Uh, accepting the nomination of of the Republican Party and this was a pretty interesting speech and I did not watch the entire thing so I apologize if I do miss out on some of the details but I I think I'll hit what's what's really important coming out of that speech uh, basically so first it was the longest acceptance speech in um, in the time since these have been recorded and and, and that's been kept track of. Uh, but I think it was a, it was very effective politically. And I think it set the stage for where Donald Trump wants to take this campaign once it really becomes. Now, now that he's gotten past the, the convention and everything, it really is now me against Hillary Clinton. And that's, that's my only target. I don't have to worry about anything really with the party anymore. Um, now it's, it's me versus her. If, if I'm putting myself in, in Donald Trump's shoes. So it was interesting what he did. Uh, and 
a lot of what he was doing was reaching out to the Democratic base. So I think now that a lot's been mended with the party, and most of the party's gotten in line behind Donald Trump, they've realized this is our only horse, and we really don't want Hillary Clinton to be president. So really, most of the Republican establishment has fallen in line behind Donald Trump, and I think more and more of them will as at least as we get closer and closer to November. You'll see less and less never Trump people on on the Republican side. So I think. He didn't focus on really the, the typical Republican Party acceptance speech is, is talking about uh, getting the government off the back of, of small businesses, th- things like that. Like, I'm going to shrink government. I'm going um, to open up. Uh, I'm going to let the free market do its thing. I mean, that kind of stuff is normally what's said at, at the Republican Party or by the Republican nominee for president in this speech but donald trump didn't do that and i also want to say that the republicans don't actually come through on those promises unfortunately they have a lot of good rhetoric typically about you know about the free market trying to appeal to i guess the libertarian wing but they they never follow through they they've continually expanded government so they don't follow through on that on that rhetoric whatsoever but trump didn't go that route Trump reached out really to a lot of the Democratic base. So he did that probably most notably reaching out to the LBGTQ crowd. So reaching out to gays and lesbians and uh, really trying to say that I can be a candidate that that represents you, which was kind of surprising. I didn't know. I didn't really necessarily see him going that way, but really what what he's done the entire campaign is reach out to blue collar workers and say that no longer is the Democratic Party your voice. I mean, look at what's happened to two blue collar jobs over over the last couple generations. And look at what's happened under both I mean, really both Democrats and Republicans. And he's saying he didn't come up right out and say that he didn't blast the Republicans in a speech and he, he's not going to do it in any speech but he, he's obviously not going to do it in a speech to them but you guys have been getting screwed you guys being the being the, the blue collar workers have been getting screwed time and time again so i'm the candidate that can come in and fix things for you now obviously how he's how he's saying he's going to fix things i don't think it's feasible and i think it's it's probably going to, to going to make matters worse but really what matters more in these types of events and these speeches is really the rhetoric and who are you targeting and it's almost not even how you target them and he's targeting those blue collar workers and he even is trying to reach out to to other uh to minority uh racial groups so trying to reach out to blacks and trying to reach out to hispanics and, and and say look your lot has not gotten better under Barack Obama and it has gotten worse and look at look at how things are trending right now for you and I'm the candidate that can come in and shake things up and make things different basically make that make things better for you and like I said before I don't think I think the vast majority of what he says it either isn't feasible or would make things worse so I don't I don't think that he's doing a good job proposing policy but that's almost beside the point in in these types of events what he's doing is is appealing not just to swing voters but he's appealing to the base of the democratic party 
and I don't I don't see Hillary Clinton doing the same thing the other direction. She probably will try to appeal to to the never Trump people. But she's trying to toe this line where she's trying to to appeal to progressives as well and it's a, that that's an almost impossible line to straddle to try to appeal to swing voters and at the same time jack up this rhetoric to try to get progressives to vote for you. And the progressives probably hate her more than they hate Trump in a lot of cases, at least the hardcore Bernie Sanders supporters. Look at the look at the outcry when Bernie Sanders endorsed Hillary Clinton and now they're calling for for him to to revoke his his endorsement and that's almost an impossible line to toe. I don't think you can reach out both ways. Trump can do it though. Trump can reach kind of across well across the aisle and that's been one of the reasons why I've said multiple times I do think he's going to win this election. And when I look at it, I don't support either candidate and I could never bring myself to support either candidate. But if I if I was put at gunpoint and had to pick one of the two, basically I know that Hillary Clinton is going to be a terrible president. I know that she's going to continue all of the all of the bad policy we've seen from Barack Obama's administrations and it's going to be more of the same and she's going to be corrupt just like her husband's administration was just like the Obama administration has been and those are the two administrations that we've got to look at historically to try to figure out what a Hillary Clinton administration would look like so we know that she's going to be a bad president we know that she's going to continue the things that are dividing this country now and she's probably going to be much more corrupt than Barack Obama was and uh, and that's been one of the most corrupt administrations in American history look at all the scandals that have come out of the Obama administration I mean most of them they all have serious scandals now and I'm not trying to discount scandals that happened under George W Bush who is one of the worst presidents in American history um, not trying to discount what happened under her husband but and part of it may have to do with there's just a lot more investigative journalism and it's much easier to get that investigative journalism out to the people and I've, I've talked about that quite a bit so that may be part of why we're seeing much more of that corruption now it's almost an apple and oranges comparison to look at now compared to say the the Richard Nixon administration and to try to compare the two it's almost not fair because obviously a lot more is going to come out under an administration today so a lot's going to get swept under the rug or never even be revealed to the public back then just because of technology now and how much easier it is to, for example, get emails to leak. I mean, something like WikiLeaks really couldn't happen. You almost had to physically catch something happening or actually record somebody saying something. And that's what happened to Nixon with the whole Watergate scandal. But now, with everything being transmitted electronically, if something can get leaked and something like WikiLeaks um, or something can get 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 released to the public, however however it may happen, there's a lot more out there, a lot more electronic information out there, a lot more sources to unearth that corruption. So maybe it's not fair to say Obama's administration is the most corrupt. That may be a little bit hyperbolic, but there there have probably been more scandals under Obama than any other than any other president. And there. You can walk down the line at points during his administration. It seemed like there were three or four going on at once. And Hillary Clinton's going to be more of the same there. She's, if not, if not worse, I would, I would probably expect her to be worse in terms of corruption and, and scandals, just looking at her history and all her baggage and, 
and uh, her husband's administration and and the Obama administration. Trump, I think he will be a bad president, and I'd be willing to bet that he's going to be a bad president. But at the same time, there is a glimmer of hope that he could be a good president, and maybe he does come in and and change things. Maybe he does come in and disrupt the establishment, which I do think we need. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the president really only has so much power. They are constitutionally limited. I know that we've exceeded those those limits quite a bit, far, far beyond what the founders ever intended the president to be. But it is still a limited office, and there's almost only so much you can do uh, without having Congress on your side or without having the courts on your side. So I think even if Trump does come to D.C. with the intention of completely wrecking the status quo, I think it'll be hard to do beyond a certain extent. The other way that it could go is it, it could be a complete disaster. And we really haven't had this in a couple generations with somebody coming in. I mean, we really haven't had it in multiple, multiple, multiple generations, somebody coming in with no political experience. Ronald Reagan at least had, he was, he was governor before he became president. Barack Obama had very little experience in the Senate before becoming president. Uh, but you haven't had a complete political newcomer like Trump take take office so it could completely blow up in his face and in our faces but I've tried to make the argument that that may be a good thing too as long as it doesn't lead us into a you know a nuclear conflict or into another war but if if things are really screwed up in terms of domestic programs coming at things from a libertarian perspective I think I think we would welcome that I think we would welcome more and more people waking up to the fact that our government is bloated, extremely bloated, and is far bigger than was ever intended. And if more and more people wake up to that, which I think a lot of people would, even on, especially on the left under a Trump presidency, see that maybe we shouldn't be vesting this much power in our federal government. If more and more people wake up to that, that could be a good thing, but it may require his presidency to be a disaster. So I think there's a... a, a small chance it could go in either of those two directions and I think both would be better than getting the status quo you know Hillary Clinton presidency that we can already see coming you can probably already map out what it's going to be it's going to be more of this interventionist policy abroad it's going to be continually expanding government on a domestic level so continually expanding all these domestic programs and spending more and more each year and invading more and more of our lives both our personal lives and our and our financial lives and our business lives. So we know what's coming from from Hillary Clinton, but with with Trump, he's he's really he's an unknown quantity. And if I had to pick between the two, I probably would go Trump at this point. I think another important point to make is if you look at the 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 reaction of the political elites to Donald Trump's speech political elites in the media, primarily the media elites, really, but they're really all kind of part of the same class. But these people saying Trump's Trump's acceptance speech scared them and that they've never, never been more scared to be an American. If anything, that's going to drive more and more regular people to Donald Trump. The more negative, the more that you try to throw at Trump and throw it, throw at him at that kind of level where they're not really making any points. They're just saying, oh, he's, he's racist, he's, he's bigoted, 
uh, he's scary, he's Hitler. That those are the type of points that these these elites are are trying to make. They're, they're not real points. All it's going to do is drive more and more regular people to back Trump. More and more people that are on the fence, and a lot of people are still on the fence at this point, and they don't know if they're going to support either of these two candidates because it's very easy to to dislike both of them. But when these elites who've been so wrong about so many things and have tried to present this rosy picture to the average common person and the average person knows that it's bs they know that it's it's false and so they've discounted everything that these elites have told them recently and the longer it goes the more they know these people are not to be trusted so when these people come out and they they just hammer somebody like donald trump they think oh there must be something to what trump is saying if all these people that I don't like dislike Trump and hate Trump, then maybe I should be supporting Trump. That's that's what's happening. People are getting so fed up with getting told BS. People are a lot smarter than the elites want to make it out to be. There are a lot of dumb people out there. I'll, I'll certainly admit that. Plenty of the electric isn't informed, and they're just going to parrot what they hear from these elites. But... The internet has made it more and more important to be informed about these issues and to know what's going on. And I think we are more informed than possibly any people at any other time due to the connectivity that we have with the internet. So the elites think that people are stupid. And you saw a lot of this come out after the Brexit vote and and, and what they had to say about the average person in Britain and, and what they thought about their opinions. They, they call him the same things they're calling Trump, racist and bigoted and scared. You know, that that's all it is. They're just operating out of fear, and they just fear the other. That's how they're trying. That's how they made the common person in Britain out to be, and that's what they're doing now to the American people when they try to just paint Trump as this this racist bigoted person and they they didn't do the same to these to these candidates that I think are just as scary but that they that were more part of the political class that were more mainstream part of the establishment you know I was much more scared by a second bush term than I was by than I am now by a Donald Trump presidency that scared me far more I was more scared for a second Obama term than I am for a Donald Trump presidency. So I don't get, I mean, I do get it, but I think it's so obvious now where their biases lie. And I think more and more people are, are waking up to it and it more, it's going to drive more people to back Donald Trump. And I don't think I will ever get to that point because just so much of what Trump says, I think would be very dangerous for the American economy. Uh, really the the protectionism is is my biggest qualm with him but also um i do like his a lot of what he says in terms of foreign policy and talking about how nato shouldn't exist anymore the u.s should reconsider its its membership in nato uh he's questioned the u.s belonging to the u.n Uh, a lot of these things that basically would get us out of these foreign affairs that we're enmeshed in where we're spending a ton of money and where we're getting involved and we're developing alliances, but also developing enemies in these conflicts abroad that don't really 
matter to the defense of the United States and the prosperity of the, of the United States. I do like a lot of what he's saying on that side when he has more of an anti-interventionist tone to him. Uh, so I guess we'll have to see how, how this all unfolds. And my hope is that if he, if he does become president, that he continues to identify the problems as well as he has been, because I think he is good at identifying the problems. But I hope that the solutions that he's been proposing were just political solutions, just solutions that he said that would keep people happy and would get him elected, and that when he gets into office, he's actually willing to make tough decisions and tough cuts and do things that may be politically unpopular. Because one of the good things about him is that he doesn't have political aspirations beyond this. He Once he's done running for president or if he becomes president, he'll return to his business empire and and run that. And he, he, he is getting up there in age, so he would probably be thinking about turning it over to his children at that point. But he doesn't have political aspirations beyond this. So I think he will be willing in office to do, to do things that are politically unpopular once he is elected. But you can't say those politically unpopular things in today's in today's political world and still expect to get elected. I, I also said I would come back and talk about uh, Ted Cruz refusing to endorse Donald Trump in his speech. I, I honestly don't have a problem with it. I, I wouldn't expect Ted Cruz to endorse Donald Trump after Trump accused <laughs> accused Cruz's dad of conspiring to kill JFK, uh, attacked Cruz's wife. I, I wouldn't expect Cruz to endorse him, so I'm not sure why the Republicans got all up in arms about that and why it became such a big story. I do question why they even had him speak or why Ted Cruz even wanted to speak at the convention. I have to think that Trump's people let him speak because they wanted to give him enough rope to hang himself because it, a lot of people are saying that they think, oh, Cruz is done politically. He's never going to be able to, to recover from this. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think Cruz probably saw it as a way where if, if Trump loses, now I've distanced myself entirely from him and now I can run in 2020 uh, against Hillary Clinton then. And I make sense because obviously the American people would have rejected Trump if they, if they didn't elect him uh, in, in this election. And so I'm a different option. I think that's how he's, that's how he saw it. So I guess it made sense for both sides and we'll see how it, how it unfolds, but I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with not falling in line behind whoever your party happens to elect or happens to nominate. And I mean, I just think about in the Libertarian Party, which I align myself with, I don't have a problem with people not falling in line behind Gary Johnson. And I, I don't think I can fall in line behind Gary Johnson with a lot of the stuff that he said in this cycle. I supported him in 2012, but with he, he's just done such a poor job preparing for interviews and appearances. I thought that town hall was a disastrous, uh, really a disastrous appearance for him. And I think it was a real waste of a good opportunity to get out and present libertarian ideals. But I, I think about it from that perspective, and I have no problem with people not falling in line behind him. I wouldn't expect, if, if you don't agree with somebody, you do not have to support them. And that, I mean, that kind of mindset, it's really a cultish type of mindset that if you belong to a party, you've got to 100% support what the rest of the party does. That's what leads to dictatorship or fascism or 
I mean, Nazism, if you, if you want to talk about, if you want to make a comparison to Nazism, which, which we hear everything, you know, Trump is Hitler, Trump is Hitler, so-and-so is Hitler, that's always what it becomes. But that type of mindset where there's a party and this is what the party leadership or what a majority of the party wants, and you always just fall in line behind that, that's the type of thinking that leads to despotism. So I don't have a problem with, with what Cruz did, and I don't think anybody else should either. It's it's his right, and I wouldn't expect him to, to endorse Donald Trump. Other topic I really wanted to talk about, and I probably won't have quite as much to say about this, but uh, I think it is very important, but it's the, the Democratic National Committee email leak. So WikiLeaks, which I have seen a lot of people on the right historically basically calling WikiLeaks kind of a leftist, I mean, a socialist, but having a, a strong leftist lean into targeting um, targeting conservatives far more than it targets liberals. But I hope that this, this whole story and the information that this uncovered opens up their eyes to the value of having groups like this that are willing to expose, willing to put themselves out there to expose what's going on to expose government fraud and abuse and this isn't government fraud and abuse but it's you know it's a political group one of the strongest political groups in the country the republic or the uh, democratic national committee so this is a hugely important leak and i hope that this just opens up really every to everybody on both sides now how important WikiLeaks is and I've seen the people on the left now complaining that WikiLeaks is just targeting liberals which is funny because you've seen I saw the same exact things about WikiLeaks from the other side in in past uh, in past leaks that that they've done so I hope that people on both sides just realize we need groups like this to keep leadership and people that we've vested a lot of power in keep them honest and I know you're never going to keep them completely honest and <laughs> you're never going to, when you vest a ton of power into, into government, there's always going to be a lot of fraud and abuse out there. And they, they probably only catch a, a fraction of it, a small fraction of it. But WikiLeaks, I applaud you. Thank you for everything you do for exposing it on both sides. And I hope you continue to do it on, on both sides and continue to bring these stories to light because it's phenomenally important. So, Basically, what they uncovered is, and I'm sure a lot of people know this know this by now, have, have read up on the story. It was, it was huge. It, it is huge. But the Democratic National Committee conspired, I guess that's the right word. Uh, there, was a, there was a targeted attack against Bernie Sanders. Tar- they wanted Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton was, was their woman. Bernie Sanders was getting a ton of support was really threatening her position as the clear-cut Democratic presidential nominee. And so there was a lot of language in these emails from the DNC that attacked Bernie Sanders, attacked his uh, his heritage, uh, talking about he wasn't proud of his Jewish heritage. Um, maybe attacking his heritage isn't, isn't correct necessarily, but it it's pretty concerning and... and I talked about this before where there was enough that came out already that showed that Bernie Sanders was not getting treated fairly by the DNC. 
and I made a comparison, and I've seen this comparison more and more now, and I, I wish we'd had a comparable leak from the RNC in um, 2012, but the Ron Paul campaign. And a lot happened in the Ron Paul campaign that's similar to what happened in the Bernie Sanders campaign. A lot of questionable vote tallies, a lot of instances where it looked like Sanders or uh, Paul got much more support than he was actually uh, w- that they actually ended up giving him credit for after the election tallies, uh, the media blacking him out. A lot of the same type of stuff that happened to Bernie Sanders in in uh, the 2016 election, and they're they're comparable movements on both sides. They both were primarily young people, primarily people in that you know 18 to 29 age age range. That's the that was the base of the Bernie Sanders phenomenon. That was the base of the Ron Paul phenomenon. It was young people. So you can draw that comparable. Um, they both were promising to disrupt the establishment. Of course, in far different ways. Ron Paul was talking about slashing government, uh, slashing government spending by a trillion dollars in year one, going back to libertarian principles, uh, embracing the free market. Bernie Sanders is really the opposite, talking about basically how we need to expand government and promise all these social programs and universal college, universal health care. It's obviously completely different ends of the political spectrum, but similar in terms of their threat to the establishment. Ron Paul to the establishment of the Republican Party and Bernie Sanders to the establishment of the Democratic Party. Uh, So this doesn't surprise me. And I'm sure a lot of, I'm sure this happened, this has happened consistently, but this has been the first time where we've had this kind of leak of all these emails and, and all this, all this information to come out to actually prove it. I think before it was kind of piecing a lot of different information together, kind of what happened before this leak with the Bernie Sanders campaign. You could tell by all the stories that came out that there was something going on. It's just hard to identify exactly what was going on, but you could tell that, that the, the DNC wasn't behind Sanders, wanted Clinton. And I just wish that we had a comparable leak from from 2012 from the RNC showing what they were trying to do to black out Ron Paul. Because uh, the same thing, I, I guarantee similar things were happening then. The stories were similar, but we never got the, the clear-cut email proof that it happened. So I guess it always could be disparaged as being just a conspiracy theory and just being all oh, these, these crazy Paul bots uh, they think everyone's out to get them. They're just conspiracy theorists anyway, so of course they're just gonna they're gonna think everyone's out to get them when they just lost fair and square. But I guarantee you the same thing happened in in 2012 to Ron Paul, or very very comparable things happened. So I don't know how it's gonna hurt Hillary Clinton. I I think uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz will be booted at at some point. I don't know when it'll happen, but she's horrible and. I'm I'm honestly surprised that she's lasted this long, but with all this coming out, I can't see her retaining her job for much longer. Uh, I don't know. I the Democratic Party surprisingly, and you wouldn't have said this four months ago, but the Democratic Party looks more fractured than the Republican Party right now. Much more of the Republican Party has gotten in line behind Donald Trump. There still is division. There's always going to be division in a in a two party system, and there is still a sizable, you know, never Trump group that's not that's not going to get behind him. That probably won't get behind him. But the Democrats are far more fractured, and 
you first go through the whole Hillary Clinton's email scandal, and that played a toll on uh, on her presidential campaign because that's going to be such an easy thing to to target her for, and a lot of people just cannot trust her. So they they can't vote for her. They may just not go to the polls at all. They may go third party. They could even cross over to Trump, but. The email scandal obviously hurt her a lot politically and hurt the, hurt the Democratic establishment a lot because they're behind her. Anything that hurts her hurts them. But then now this, I think this might be even worse because at least people that maybe would have been willing, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna get behind Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders endorsed her, and uh, she's better than Trump. But now you see this come out, and it's basically showing that the Democratic establishment conspired against Bernie Sanders. And used the media to do it and, you know, attacked him personally in these emails or insulted him personally, obviously behind his back. But you see all that. I think a lot of those people that maybe begrudgingly kind of fell in line behind Hillary say, no way. And maybe they'll go to Trump because Trump actually, another thing I should have said about his speech is he was reaching out to Bernie Sanders supporters quite a bit. And He's he has said now that Bernie was screwed, and I agree that Bernie was screwed. I disagree with Bernie on just about everything there is, only probably ninety percent of things out there. But he was screwed. It was it, it was unfair, and now we've got proof of it. So I think Trump is making a pretty big run at those Sanders voters. And I've said from the beginning, even before this came out, that I think a lot more of the Sanders people are going to go to Trump than you think. The people that are supporting Sanders in order to because they believe that they would benefit personally from a Sanders presidency, like that they would get more than they would have to give up in terms of higher taxes or whatever. They would get more in government programs. Trump is saying a lot more of that kind of rhetoric, talking about protectionism and protecting American jobs and you know, helping blue-collar people. Trump is reaching out, I think, much more and appealing to those kind of people a lot more than, than Hillary is, where they know that, Hillary doesn't really care about them, and, and, and she's just kind of taking that base for granted. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. The The whole DNC thing is still a new story, so I don't know exactly how everybody's going to react. The elites are trying their hardest to downplay it. I saw some. Uh, I saw that Twitter had apparently kind of blacked out the <coughs> the uh, the hashtags or the, the trending topics surrounding it unsurprisingly after they banned Milo Yiannopoulos uh, obviously they they have a strong left political leaning and it's their right as a private company so I I want to make sure that people don't talk about Milo Yiannopoulos having a right to be on Twitter because of free speech it's a private company they have a right to let whomever they want onto their platform and to keep whomever they want off of it so it's not a free speech issue but it it shows that Twitter has a strong bias in one direction away from the right. And there have been plenty of instances where left-leaning, you know, where liberals have made similar attacks against others and have not been even suspended for it, let alone permanently banned. And if Twitter wants to continue to continue to be this, uh, this platform for open expression and for where people come to get their news and to see a variety of political viewpoints doing things like this is not going to let them do that somebody else will some other platform will emerge and will serve as that uh, as that platform and you've already seen i think a lot of a 
lot of the right I, I know i'm using just like a basic left right dichotomy but i think reddit's become a lot stronger for more conservative leaning people because reddit is much more open you know reddit is there there are very few rules not that twitter has a ton of rules but there are a lot of weird things that go on with you know not being able to <laughs> see certain people's posts that happened to milo a lot i know uh but I don't think Twitter will last if it continues to do this. I think it needs to be nonpartisan, have you know maybe a, a, a few rules to keep people on and to enforce it across the board, enforce those rules across the board. That's what they need to do in order to really stand up to their mission and not and to avoid becoming a platform for one side to use and the other side abandons it because I think I, I could see it going that way. Twitter, just the way it's set up, cannot be partisan and expect to, to survive long term. And I love Twitter. That's really the only social media site that I'm on consistently. If you want to follow me, at Mark Geis. Uh, so I, I like Twitter a lot, and I think there's a lot of valuable content out there. And I try to follow enough of both sides to really get a full sense of what both sides of the political spectrum are saying, or all sides of, of the spectrum are saying. But if it does this... If it continues to do this and continues to be more partisan, you're going to drive people like me out. I mean, let alone first, you're going to drive the hard the people that really say support Milo and, and people that think like him. Then you're also going to push out people like me that I think try to go on to get more of a balanced viewpoint. If it's skewed left and it's skewed to, to getting particular viewpoints much more than others, I'm not going to want to be on there either. I'm going to leave. And I think a lot of people are like that where they want to try they use Twitter to get kind of opinion from all over, from all over the place. So I hope that they wake up and realize this is, this is potential disaster and that they, that they're making big mistakes and that doing things like this, banning somebody like Milo uh, will do much more harm than good unless they start enforcing certain standards across the board then at least it's fair. But I think reducing those standards as low as possible and letting Twitter just be really <clears throat> a platform for free expression, which I think it's been for the most part, but it may not be moving forward. So thank you again for listening. Glad I got to cover quite a bit today. A little longer than I than I try to typically be, but uh, I'd, I appreciate you listening, and hopefully I'll have another one out sometime this week.